Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Corey Gray, and of course, I'm sitting next here with my buddy Tony. What's up, bro? What's up, man? What's going on? Nothing. Chilling like a villain, man. Hey, man, I'm really excited about um, introducing you to DT. Uh, DT is an old friend of mine. Um, I actually met her when she worked for the Fido company. She was our product rep, and um, this girl could slay some retail. Yeah, I hear some of the numbers are uh, outstanding. Yeah, they're pretty ridiculous. Um, I know that I witnessed her do at least like twenty five hundred dollars in one day in the salon. She didn't even work there. She like came into the salon as a as a guest retail specialist and just absolutely crushed it. Wow! All right, that makes excited to get into some of that. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Good morning, DT. Welcome to your day off. Good morning, guys. How are you? We are wonderful, wonderful. Hey, thank you very, very much for coming on the show. Um, I know that it took us a, about a month to get into it, but um, thanks, man. I, uh, we totally in, uh, appreciate um, giving us your time. Hey, thank you for having me and asking. It really is an honor, so thanks. Awesome. I know you're uh, chilling in sunny Florida today, but before we get into where you are now, where are you from? Um, well, I'm originally from California. Um and I lived there until I was 12, and that's where most of my family still lives. And then um, my mom married my stepdad, who was military, and that took us all over the place. And oh, I went to well, four well, different what, high- what branch was he in? Uh, in the Army. Oh, he's an Army guy? Mm-hmm. So did you spend 30s. time in, like, Texas and stuff? No, uh, everywhere else, though. <laughs> but um, he was in for 37 years and retired, and so he was a lifer, and... Um, but yeah, I, we, we moved seven times in eight years. I went to four different high schools. Oh uh, so it was an interesting upbringing. Um, your, your high school experience sounds like mine. <laughs> 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 and my family um, wasn't in the military either. <laughs> <laughs> they were gypsies. <laughs> yeah, we, part of it, getting kicked out. Here, yeah, here, right. but, exactly. you know. So did you have friendships from um, high school and stuff? Um, a little bit, but no, not really. Like I definitely, all my friends now have been from when I was an adult. So like 18 on. And, um, so yeah, I definitely, you know, get a little jelly over people that actually want to go to their high school reunions and have (laughs) friends like you guys that are. Um, so old because I definitely so old. did not get that experience. Oh, no. <laughs> Two seconds into it, she's killing us, man. <laughs> well, Corey's my only friend from high school, so he goes to the high school reunion. I don't because I was only there about a, a year and a half. So it's not like, I, yeah, I have no connections. No <laughs> Oh, that's great. So I guess Facebook is lost on you then, huh? Uh, well, again, not for family and for adult friends. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. That's awesome. I think I have an unhealthy relationship with Facebook, actually. You have a what relationship? 
an unhealthy relationship with Facebook. So I'm currently on hiatus from being on it too much. Is this like your Lent um, commitment? (laughs) No, I guess it's like more of my spiritual yoga commitment. I can't argue with that. So you were in uh, four different high schools and four in, well, in your high school career. Um, and then uh, what happened? What did you do after that? Um, well, my senior year in high school, we ended up in the Washington, D.C. area for the third time. Um, and I graduated from McLean High School in Virginia. Awesome. And then um, I tried the college thing out for a little bit and realized it was not for me. And thank mm-hmm. God my mom was supportive, but she wanted me to get some sort of education. And so I'd always been interested in the beauty industry and had been in it at that time. And so I was like, well, I'll go to hair school. And so I went to Graham Webb, which was, um, or is based out of Roslyn, Virginia. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then I've never looked back. So I've been in the hair world ever since. That's so a great I, school. That is a great school. I, I think two people here went there as well. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm not to get too far ahead. I mean, I think we'll bounce back and forth a little bit. So you actually, like most of my, with my experience, like most of the product reps, you know, they've, um, very, very few of them actually actually came through the hair business. So you were, you were uh-huh. an actual hairdresser before you got into, um, into the product size. Side, product size, product side. How long did you uh, do hair behind the chair? Uh, For 11 years. And I actually did it really successfully in like the Georgetown area. Um, I kind of was at the point where, I don't know, I just wanted something different in my life. And Mm -hmm. I didn't really feel comfortable or confident at that time to open a salon. And I actually had kind of been approached um, by Fido. my first hair care company I worked for, right. I'd been somewhat approached by them to get into education and it sounded interesting. And, um, and then some life decisions that I made really kind of just springboarded me into that. And, uh, and it was great. It was as a good a, decision. As a Fido rep, that's, I guess that's when uh, you met Corey. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. And, and a lot of our friends actually. All right. So, so as a stylist for 11 years in the Georgetown area, and then Fido approached you and you decided to, to uh, start doing education for Fido, how long did, uh, did you stay as a, uh, as a Fido rep or a product educator? Um, so I worked for Fido for five years. Um, I initially started out at this, the Mid-Atlantic Regional Educator Um, which basically what that translates to is I managed um, the education of the salons in the Maryland, Virginia, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Delaware. um, Wow, you put some miles on your car, huh? (laughs) What? You put some miles on your car, huh? Oh, God, yeah. Um, But anyway, so I managed the education for those states, And then about a year into it, maybe about a year and a half, I did a really good job and, um, and just had really substantial numbers, um, from whenever I would go into salons, but also, um, just the overall like mid Atlantic team 
of sales reps and everything in the D.C. area. We were the top ones. And so we got lots of recognition. And I think through that and then the fact that I am a hairstylist by trade um, and a successful one and a good one at that, Fido decided to launch their color line that they had in Europe in the U.S. and asked me to help with the launch and become the director of the education for the color company for the U.S. and kind of find the team and cultivate the team and and go from there. Other than the uh, product knowledge, because uh, the stories that, you know, Corey was telling me earlier about, you know, doing, you know, two grand, $2,500 in sales in, in, a, in an afternoon, you make, you know, he said you made it look so easy. But what other kind of education would you bring into the salon? Would you do, uh, like, current trends? Uh, what was happening with uh, color trends? Yeah, what did that look like? What did that look like when you went into the salon? Um... I think that answer, that question has a couple of different answers. Um, going back to the retail component of the, like, selling 2500 in a day um, and making it look easy, I really did it through just educating the clients as well as educating the stylists um, as opposed to approaching it through just being a salesperson and really trying to be relatable for the stylist, but then also for the clients too, and just listening. And I think that's a big problem that um, kind of is in our industry is people don't listen. And um, and I think if you just um, take the time to actually listen to people's needs and concerns, and then again approach sales through education, it's mm-hmm. amazing what can happen because you actually seem like a real person, and they want to listen to you as opposed to just like a salesperson. Yeah, that's amazing, actually. You know, that, I think that's a great point, um, is turn your listening ears on and turn your mouth off at times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, I saw a difference in uh, we were doing this company that Corey and I used to work with. I guess they did an average of 12 to, I don't know, he, he tries to push 10 to 12% retail, right, mm-hmm. on the average. And we did this class one time where uh, – Set the products in front of your clients. Tell them what you're doing and how you're using it. That's it. There might be three, four, five products sometimes you might use from the very beginning to the very end of the client. But sometimes, I mean, usually they'll take one or two products home with them without really trying to sell it. Just really just informing them. Yeah. No yeah. Well, and knowing, like, why you think something is special. Like, what is it going to do for them that's different than every other product they have sitting, you know, at home? Um, and like you said, giving that kind of ownership to them by having it in front of them, maybe they want to touch it. Maybe they want to look at it. Maybe they want to feel it. Um, you know, that was also a big thing that I always did is I would put stuff in like the actual product itself in people's hands so that they could experience it. So it wasn't just let me set the product in front of you. It was, you know, get involved in the whole kind of experience and create that, kind of almost love affair with the product and then when they love their hair afterwards it you know it does kind of sell itself i um i mean just watching dt do it and and trying to steal her game a little bit and she just she mentioned it um just a second ago but she really made the experience about the client so it's not about this product is good for this hair it's more like this product is good for dt because you know which is which is just a small kind of like conversation but i think it's it it's obviously huge Right, you're not trying to push this huge sale. Right, you're, just, you're making it a personal experience. Absolutely, right? and that it's 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 about you, the person, and not um, 
even your hair type or your whatever, and you're just like, this is really, really for you. More, more like a prescription based, you know, thing. Yeah. Kind of like your doctor would do, right? Yeah, definitely. You know? So, and also believing in the product that you're trying to give to your client. If Absolutely. I, like the companies that I worked for, it was because I believed in them. It wasn't just because I was having a job. And, um, yeah, and I think that is really huge. And I mean, you know, as a stylist like you and a salon owner, you should make sure all of your stylists are using the products that you're trying to sell in your salon um, so that they have favorites, so that they can talk about it from personal experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, like just taking that salesperson component out of it and, you know, really just making it real for everyone. Yeah. That's actually fantastic advice. I kind of think that there's a place with the, um, and we've had 30 years of the same exact product knowledge class. Right. I know. Product, yeah. Ingredients X, Y, Z does X, Y, Z, you know, and, right. and, and, you know, most of, well, I'll speak for me. I'm an idiot. So when it comes to all those products and stuff, I just like, I go like a deer in headlights. Well, and I mean, to be honest, 99% of the products out there, the only thing that differentiates them is marketing. So that's Absolutely. why you've had the same product knowledge class for the last 30 years think it's really kind of on the manufacturers at this point to create something that's new and unique and different so that we aren't just bored and we don't feel like we're just kind of slinging the same crap and hearing the same crap. Mm-hmm. That's why I think you see this this kind of movement with, uh, with a change in education as far as the independent stylist, the oh, independent yeah, no educator. Doubt. So back to um, when uh, you were teaching for Fido and the new color line. Would you guys bring, like, trends into the salon as well as the product knowledge and how to sell the product? But did did you guys bring in, you know, some looks and and what's current and things of that nature? Definitely. And that's part of when you're in education with a company is um, really partnering and having good communication with the sales representatives and, like, the managers Um, because they are two different sides. Education is one side, and then you have the sales component on the other side. So it's really, you know, the educators don't have, um, I guess, repertoire or the back and forth with the salon owners and what the salon owner is trying to kind of uh, achieve for their um, educational experience or what they would like their stylist to get out of it. And that's more on the sales rep. And so then it's really having, again, that good communication with the sales representatives to create kind of, to get an idea and to be able to create the plan that you want to have to go into the salon so that you can make the maximum, you know, kind of bang or pop, you know, for the stylist. So is it, you know, at the initial coming in and just doing some models and just playing with the color and experiencing it and seeing it and smelling it and, you know, seeing before and afters? Is it looking at trends? Is that what's really going to get, you know, the stylist going and seeing, you know, how cutting edge, you know, a certain company is Mm -hmm. versus not? Um, So, I mean, there's so many different things that can be done, so many different types of classes. So as an educator, does... Did Fetal come to you, and did they give you like a list of like these are the trends that we're working on? This is this is this is what we want to see out of the product, and then you carry that on to the salon. Was that your job, or was that your gig? Uh, kind of. So they did because they were based um, initially out of Europe and having success in Europe. Um, they had a whole education team for Europe. 
um, and Colette Fishman, who was actually one of the major creators behind Subteal Color, which is mm-hmm. Vito's hair color that I worked for, um, she and her team would come up with the different trend collections um, out of France. And then, yes, like um, I would fly over to Europe. They would teach me how to do the different trends. Mm-hmm. And then I, in turn, would fly back to the States and teach my team. Oh, that's awesome. You got a lot mm-hmm. of time overseas, too, huh? I did. It was fun. That's fantastic, man. So you were with Fido for how long? You said five years. Five years. And then where'd you go? Uh, to Living Proof Hair Care. Ooh. Did you work for Miss Aniston? <laughs> Unfortunately, I never got to meet her, but I got to meet like everyone else leading up to her, unfortunately. I don't know if to say all or cool. I don't know. Kind of stuck in between there, man. What was that experience like? Well, it was very different because I went from education to management and sales, um, which I, again, hadn't really done before. So I approached it like an educator as opposed to a traditional sales and management uh-huh. you know, person. And, um, and so I was super successful, again, because I think I just approached it differently. Right. And were you, um, were you still in the Mid-Atlantic at that point? No. So I had, before I left Fido, I had moved to Florida mm-hmm. um, because I had a national position with them so I could live wherever I wanted to. And um, I realized I needed the sun and the beach in my life. And um, <laughs> so I took the opportunity that I could live wherever I wanted to and moved to Florida. Um, Yay. So, um, so no, when I left Fido, I was living in Florida and then went to work for Living Proof. And I managed the Southeast and Mid-Atlantic for them. So I had like Texas over like Pennsylvania area down. So I covered 15 states. Yeah. Yeah, Quarter of the country. So when you were in Florida and you went to uh, the office, would you just grab your laptop and uh, head to the beach? I would take pictures all the time for my parents and like text that to or text some pictures like, oh, look at my beautiful view from work today. (laughs) And they were convinced I was not actually working. But, you know, uh, that's the great thing is when you're not on the road. Yes, you can kind of make your office wherever. Nice. I'm so jealous, man. No, I think most of America hates you right now. <laughs> so as well. <laughs> How do we make that happen? <laughs> I think that's the nugget here, right? Yeah. <laughs> Work for a product rep company. Well, it's you know, it's actually funny that you say that because it actually is not as glamorous as what it sounds. Yes, there are some major perks, uh-huh. and you get paid really well, and you know, yes, you get to travel and. Um, you know, for sales meetings and get to meet really cool people. But for eight years, I was literally on the road Monday through Friday, four weeks a month. And it is very grueling and, um, and very taxing on any relationships, any animals. I mean, I have a cat and I don't know how it didn't die during that time. Um, and, <laughs> and so all visit. my plants did, but, um, but yeah, no, it's, you know, yes, there are some awesome parts to it and you can be kind of whatever you want to be in the sky's the limits, which is phenomenal, but it's, it's a hard life for sure. It definitely, uh, not a family life. No, not at all. Mm. Well, and all people are always like, oh, but you get to go to all these amazing places. And I'm like, well, yeah, but I see the airport and the hotel room and, you know, a few salons and that's about it. So, um, so yeah. 
So when you had the 15 states and you were doing a lot of traveling, uh, doing education uh, for Living Proof, were you guys doing hair shows or doing shows to promote the product as well? So both with Fido and with Living Proof, they were not your traditional product lines. They were a little bit more boutique. Um, so no, they didn't do like the big, you know, hair shows that come to the different states. Um, but they did do their own individual little kind of shows and uh, inspirational shows. So, um, so yes, I was a part of that. What challenges did you run into, um, you know, being an educator or um, or working for the product companies? Not really the product companies, but you know, personally, what what, what uh, were there anything that we could call like fails? Well, I have a couple of like really funny stories um, <laughs> Let's get that into you them. could put into fails. Um, <laughs> hey, there better be a success story after the fails. <laughs> well, everything is a success. I can't speak. Everything is a success. But yeah, there's Isn't there a quote about that though? Fails. Isn't there a quote? Like you either, you either win or you learn, right? There's no failures. Right. Exactly. So let's not call it them is. fail. So let's, uh, so uh, what'd you learn? <laughs> yeah, give us some learning experiences, DT. Um, well, the very, one of the biggest learning experiences I had as an educator is don't chew gum while you are uh, speaking in front of a class. And um, so I had just gone to uh, Jose Ebers in Beverly Hills. So one of oh, Fido's, Oh, yeah, fancy. Like one of Fido's top accounts, we were trying to get some teal color in there. So I was sent in, you know, the big guns to try and like make the sale actually happen and educate the team, get them inspired, all of that. So I had always chewed gum for some reason at that point and like stuck it to the top of my mouth and never had an issue because whenever I talk a lot in front of people, I get like a dry mouth. And so that always would help. Yeah. And, um, so I stuck the gum to the top of my mouth and I was talking to them and in the middle of the presentation for again, like this ultra, Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. we got to paint the picture. So you're in his salon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How many people are you talking to? Mm, probably 40. 40 people. Oh, and like literally the top stylists. Like they do all the housewives. They do oh. Jacqueline Smith. They do Jennifer Lopez. Like, so that's these type of stylists. And, and at the point, I mean, I know how our product knowledge classes have been in the past. You know, so, you know, the top stylists and the ones that are the least interested in seeing you at this point, right? Oh, yeah, because they already know everything, and why would they want to switch to a new color line that is unheard of and all of that? <laughs> okay, back to your story. So gum on roof or mouth at a salon with 40 people, and some of them don't even care that you're there. Go yeah, and go. so I'm the only one standing up in front of them, and all of a sudden, the gum shoots into the back of my throat, <laughs> and I start, like, gagging in front of everyone, and I can't catch my breath. I literally feel like I'm going to die, and, <laughs> and I finally was able to, like, swallow the gum, but Ooh. it was after me, like... And just putting on a horrible, you know, show. And when I finally turned around, everyone was staring at me like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> and Corey, you know me, like I get super like embarrassed and I get bright red whenever I get embarrassed. Like right. I definitely wear my emotions on my uh, face. And so, yeah, I was horrified <laughs> at that. That's great. Yeah. 
So learning experience, don't push gum to the roof of your mouth. Yeah, and just don't chew gum. Like, have an actual bottle of water. So. <laughs> it's better than shooting out at one of the stylists, right? <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, exactly. I'm surprised this that chick that happen. just spat on me. <laughs> gum in my hair. Oh, my gosh. That sounds uh, horrible. Um, definitely so. a learn, though. What? I mean, that's definitely a learn, you know? So did you put the oh, gum yeah. under the tongue? Like, the <laughs> no. Like, no yeah, gum. Period. Oh so I God. actually discovered the Listerine um, strip things. Those worked very well. So, and no choking comes with those. <laughs> and those belong in the roof of your mouth, right? Yeah, I think so. Or on your tongue or something. something. You can still function with them. <laughs> Most of us can. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's fantastic. So that's a big learn. Um, any other learns you want to share? Well, going back to you talking about shows. So Fido had a big retail presence um, at the time that I was with them. And so there was like the retail division, which dealt with like your Sephora's and your Nordstrom's. And then there was the salon division. And so I was part of the salon division, but every once in a while, the educators would trickle over and kind of help out the retail division Uh um, when there were like big events. And so there was a huge Nordstrom's trend show, which is this event that they do twice a year. Uh, Actually, I think just once, no, twice a year. There's like 500 people that buy tickets to come to this big event and every makeup vendor and hair vendor and, like clothing, you know, vendor is at these, you know, huge so what, restaurants. So what is it? This isn't like a sales convention. This is like a Nordstrom's convention. So all these people show up just for uh, Nordstrom sales. Yes. So they were the 500 people that I'm talking about are clients right. of, you know, said Nordstrom's and, mm-hmm. but it is like, it's a huge deal. They put on a huge runway with, wow. I mean, DJ and lights and like professional models, there's hair and makeup being done. Right. Um, like it is no small thing and not every Nordstrom's does it, but especially the big ones, they definitely do. And, uh, and so this, so happens, in was, every, whoa, whoa, whoa. this happens in each store. No, not like the big ones. It definitely happens in, um, but so like New York or LA or I don't, did it happen in DC? Do you know? Uh, it happened at, in Annapolis and mm-hmm. at Tyson's. Oh, wow. Who knew? I didn't, when she was telling the story, all these like big people are there. I just assumed it was like an LA. event for right. an event for like Nordstrom's national. I didn't realize it was, it happened salon. I mean, salon store by store by store by store. Yeah. That's I know. Pre- that's pretty incredible. Crazy. Think about the cost of that. Oh, you I know. know. To, do it, to do it multiple times. You know, you think they could do it all in one big, uh, look, listen, I'm telling Nordstrom's how to run their business. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I was at the King of Prussia Nordstrom's trend show, which is in Pennsylvania. And, um, I think it's like the biggest mall in Pennsylvania and mm-hmm. kind of on the East coast, but it's huge. Is that but outside so was, of Philadelphia in that kind of area? Uh, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So, I mean, it's a cool area. It definitely has lots of shopping. Uh, so, anyways, I was at King of Prussia doing the trend show, and I get up on stage to do, and we had five-minute presentations where we were, like, full-on mic'd up. We walked the runway while talking and educating about 
like two or three products that we had chosen ahead of time to talk about. And again, just trying to kind of wow the audience so that when the show is over, they want to come back down and buy the product from you. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so again, that's just another kind of, you know, facet of being an educator for a product company. But, um, oh, so, you know, to, sorry, sorry to interrupt again, but just to back up a little bit, I assume that it was a sales pitch for Nordstrom's. You're saying that it was actually like Nordstrom's like best clients or best customers that were, that the sales pitch was for. Correct. Okay. My bad. Okay, carry okay. on. I apologize. No, it's because retail is so kind of different and such a different beast than mm-hmm. the salon world. So it does, you know, it takes a little bit to wrap your head around. Yeah. Um, and yes, if I lose you guys, please don't hesitate to interrupt me. Um, <laughs> because it's all like normal for me. And so I forget that it's not normal for everyone else. But so I get, like, I come out from backstage I get onto the catwalk and I'm, you know, doing my thing, talking, and all of a sudden the MC interrupts me and like asks me a question. And I had been working for Fido at this point for probably four years. And I mean, I knew the products inside and out, like every, you know, name, ingredient, blah, blah, blah. And she asked me a question and my brain completely went blank because I was so nervous Mm -hmm. already for being in front of so many people, you know, and being on stage. And then I had already like had my script, so I wasn't going to deviate from my script. And, um, and so when she asked me the question, I literally just completely went blank, blank. And then, I don't know why, but I said on the microphone, I was like, oh my God, I just had a brain fart. And again, these are in front of like their top clients. And I mean, I guess maybe it doesn't sound that bad, but it was so embarrassing. And kind of like the look she gave me was like, I can't believe you just used the word brain fart, you know? And like, it was so un, you know, um, it didn't have any etiquette at all. So when you said it, was it crickets or laughter? I don't, to be honest, I don't even know. It was like a vacuum in my head. I can't believe that just came out of my mouth. So, At least you were honest. Come on. Oh, yeah. We all brain fart. (laughs) (laughs) That's incredible, man. That's funny. And and that was with Fido. Yeah, that was with Fido, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Hey, so um, so you have a salon now in, in, in South Florida, yeah? Yeah. All right, big question. What products are you carrying? <laughs> I carry Living Proof, and I actually use Subtil Color. No, you don't. I do. Oh, good for you, man. Yeah, I you told you, it's all about actually believing in what you're trying to either sell or educate on. So, I and I thoroughly believe in both of those companies. <laughs> awesome. For everyone that wants to be an educator or trying to become, you know, a, a product rep, what kind of advice uh, do you have for them or that you would give them uh, to, to prepare or to, yeah, to look if, for? If this is your track, how do, what would you do? What would you, what advice would you give? Yeah, I think some of the stuff that we've talked about, mm-hmm. I think hopefully is already good somewhat advice. But like I said before, it's not as glamorous as what it seems. You actually, if it's a money, you know, monetary thing that you're thinking like, oh, I'm going to get in and be an educator and make so much more money than I was behind the chair. It's not, you know, you actually probably make half of what you could make behind the chair if you were a successful stylist or actually a good stylist. Um, You know, so it was more out of the love for education and wanting to 
inspire other stylists is really why you should get into it as opposed to uh, not. You know, for anyone that might be already in, you know, education or uh, in the interview process, you know, I would say my little kind of tidbits that I always gave to my educators um, that were new into the field is, you know, really like, again, going back to just listening and listen to what the stylists are telling you, listen to what the energy of the room is telling you and, you know, and kind of curb or, you know, um, make your presentation fit that individual need for that stylist or for that salon. Um, because every salon is different. Every stylist is different. And so really trying to kind of read the room and figure out who you're speaking to so that you actually relay the information and they do actually listen to you. Um, you know, and never try and like dominate the room. Yeah. You know, that's cool. You're an educator coming in, you know, and, uh, and trying to, you know, again, promote sales or bring a product line in, but it's not about you. It's about the product. And I think that ego kind of gets in the way of, you know, a lot of educators, especially if they are hairstylists, you know, before. Mm -hmm. Um, so just really checking that ego and making it about, you know, the product and about the group that you're presenting to not about you. I think that um, ego gets in the way a lot for yeah, I have all mad, industries, you know. Mad respect for one. The people who don't, if if I ask a question and if they don't know, tell me you don't know. I truly respect that versus trying to tell me something that that you, you're you trying to make up, or not necessarily make up, but right. just give me a run around. Well, you answer. know if they're full of shit or not, you know, yeah. almost immediately. Yeah. No, and that's that so that 100% true. And I mean, that was one of the key things that I always focused on, like with my team was, you know, if you don't know an answer, just like you said, like, say, I don't know, but I'll find out for you and <laughs> actually like get back to the stylist so that mm -hmm. they trust you and you build that relationship and you build those rapports. Well, I think the secret in that is exactly what you said is to is to reach back out. You know, don't say you're going to do it and then disappear on them, you know? Yeah, for sure. And then just going back to different, you know, pieces of advice, time management, being an educator is huge. What's that look like? Um, basically, the second you walk into the salon, find out when the first client, like how long the stylists actually are booked out for, when is the first client, and then you have to, you know, make your presentation fit into that time frame because there were so many times, I mean, literally like 90% of the time, I would be told by the sales rep, oh, you have three hours to go in and do, you know, a trends class for, you know, subteal color. And I would walk in and I would say, okay, so how, when does the first client come in just so I can kind of gauge? And they'd be like, oh, in about an hour and a half. Oh. And it's like, oh shit, you know, like mm -hmm. now I have to figure out how to do a trends collection class in an hour and a half versus the three hours I thought. You know, and so you have to be super flexible and think on your feet. Absolutely. Um, but time And of course, being hairdressers, you know, it's an hour and a half class and half of them show up a half hour late too, right? Yeah, that's true. That's very true. <laughs> um, you know, but time management is huge. I just had a um, product line. The, the sales rep was trying to bring it into my salon. And mm -hmm. so I gave them, you know, an hour of my time and to do a presentation right. and she, I mean, the educator for the first 20 minutes probably told me all about who she was and how great she was and, 
and again, nothing about the actual product, then went in a little bit to the product. And by the time she was actually like trying to demonstrate some of the product on a model, it was already done. And my client was, you know, showing up. And so I didn't get, I maybe got knowledge of, you know, just like the super basic of the product line and like two products in that time, you know? And so again, it's just like good time management is huge. (laughs) I've got a couple questions about this meeting that you had. So are you an easy sale or you a hard sale? I'm easy. So I'm Uh super nice. And, um, you know, I, I definitely, I'm not, a hard ass whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and I will give them the time and respect and, you know, all of that because I know how hard it was when I was in it, you know? And so, and there's also, I mean, there are, like you were saying so many new lines coming out. So I want to hear about them and, you know, and maybe be interested in something. So I wouldn't say I'm definitely not the type that just jumps in with both feet to Mm -hmm. every single new thing that walks in the door. Um, you know, you definitely have to, make me want to bring it in because it is different. Right. So when this, uh, this person is sitting in front of you, um, did your mind go to like, Oh, I got so much to teach you like that. Yeah. I, I know I'd, I'd, <laughs> if I had your experience, that would be my, I, I would get stuck there. Like, Oh, you're doing this all wrong. Slow down. <laughs> uh, no, it definitely. Yeah. Like some of that always goes through my head. I mean, I was just in a yoga workshop like a week ago uh-huh. and the like guest guy that was coming in to do the workshop Um, I just wanted to like pull him aside because there was this one lady in the room that just kept asking so many stupid questions and like was, it was all about her and not Uh about the actual workshop or learning. And it was dragging me bananas because he would engage with her and I'm like, Oh my God. So, um, actually that brings me to one of my other points that I would always like enforce with, um, my team was, I call it the parking lot. So if stupid questions come up when you're trying to, you know, be an educator, because it always happens, you know, either stupid questions or again, the stylist that just wants to challenge you or, you know, whatever it be, if something comes up, that's going to like derail you from your presentation or your train of thought, Mm -hmm. just tell them. And I know this is passive aggressive, but be like, Oh my God, that's such a great question. Let's put it in the parking lot. And so the parking lot was this either, you know, chalkboard or whiteboard or mirror, whatever you had to write on. And you would literally just write the question in there and then you would address it at the end. And, you know, I, I would always start my presentations with just saying, you know, um, please ask questions, you know, but, um, you know, we might get back to them at the end of class, um, or, you know, write them down and we'll address them afterwards, you know, just so that you can actually get the information out because like going back to the yoga workshop, the guy got maybe half of his information out because Mm -hmm. he kept engaging with all these, you know, questions that didn't pertain to anything that we were trying to learn. And, uh, and so it was frustrating, you know, being, in, in attendance with that because I was angry with her. I wanted the information, you know, and then I was also just bored and felt like I was wasting my time, um, you know, because he was engaging, you know, with those, you know, with the questions. So again, I guess that kind of goes back to time management as well. Because the questions can come out and just totally delay everything. I used to have, when, um, I helped develop this cutting uh, program for this company. And, uh, and so I would have a buddy that, would be there to help me teach and and i would tell people if you have any questions save it for the end and Uh then we'll get it done because what happens is that you get everybody start asking these questions and it just shuts it all down Mm -hmm. and the people that are getting it you know what i mean now they're held back 
So by having someone there with me to, to help teach, so I would, you know, once it became time to actually do the uh, live cutting, I would have my uh, sidekick go and move, <laughs> <Sidekick>. with, <laughs> move with them, and I would stay back and help those that uh, didn't quite get it or, you know, they had a Just lot of questions. Time. Exactly. Yeah. So that way we're not slowing everybody down. Because yeah. those questions can uh, just totally, you know, stop the momentum of uh, the progress of the uh, I love class. that idea of the parking lot, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That, that's actually well, brilliant. And, did you come up with that DT or did you steal that? Be honest. Um, I know. I think I stole it. Yeah, yeah, good so, deal. The best I ideas are stolen. I think I perfected it, though. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good job. So going back to, you know educators and if you're getting into the business um you know a big thing is always look the part like stylists especially judge you by like the book of the cover the second you walk into a salon you are being judged and that's Mm -hmm. the same as the sales rep too you know and if you look like a hot mess they're not going to listen to you they're not going to want to buy your product they're going to think that you're some like dumb stylist that couldn't make it behind the chair. And so you got into education. And that was another reason why, um, I think I loved being an educator so much as I loved proving people wrong that it was like, no, actually I'm a good stylist. I just chose, you know, to go into a different path and, um, you know, and so always make sure you look, you know, whatever your version of perfect is, Mm -hmm. um, because they are judging you and you'd be surprised. Like I had so many people that would say, Oh, I wanted, I want to get into education because I'm so, you know, inspired by you or, um, you know, I want to emulate you. And like, that's such a compliment. Um, Incredibly, right? Yeah, it definitely is. But you know, it just, you're selling the whole package. Like you're not just selling your product, you're selling yourself and you know, you're part of that package. So takes huge guts right yeah you know yeah so i have nothing but mad respect for people who put themselves out in front of other people like that to take that kind of criticism or that that kind of judgment and and, Mm -hmm. you know shame on them the people that are judging you know what i mean really yeah because these people are really putting themselves out there and it takes huge guts Mm mm-hmm You'd be surprised, and I wish everyone had your same Unfortunately, process, I wouldn't be surprised because we've all been there, right? Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> you know, that's – um, but you know what? That's also a perspective, and this sounds weird, but it's also a perspective of being a hairdresser, right? You've sat in those PK classes, and you, and, and you know – you know, from the other side, you know what happens when, when, when an outsider comes into your salon. Yeah. And you know the people – that are sitting with you, your your teammates that are the ones that do the judging, right? They're, those are the, some <laughs> I mean, of the guys. I'd never do it. <laughs> right. No, but you know the people that do, right? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I also know that it's actually funny when she was talking about people that uh, derail conversations. Again, to back up, immediately two faces came into my head, <laughs> you know, and I think they those two faces probably derailed DT at a time or two. Possibly. <laughs> or tried to. I tried to, but she was like, Come park that over next to my Tesla. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, yeah. There's always one in the salon, if not a few. Yeah, always one, right? Yeah. So what are you doing nowadays? Um, well, I got out of corporate world, I guess about five years no, not even that long. Three years ago. And then uh I opened my little salon, which I'd always wanted to do, um, but I finally felt ready to do it. 
And yeah, living the life in Florida. She says it's a little salon. She probably has like 40 operators I work for or something. <laughs> no. Unfortunately, I it's actually just me and one other girl. And oh. um, it's very small. And I think because of my experience in... Um, you know, the corporate world of hair care, I saw so many salons fail and I saw, um, so many just bad business practices as well as those crappy, evil, you know, mean stylists. Um, and it was, I just, you know, I want to build a successful business and I want to take baby steps and take my time as opposed to, you know, biting off more than I can chew. And also like, I, I want a happy work environment. I don't, you know, I'm very particular about who I work with mm-hmm. and um, I would rather work by myself than <laughs> have someone that has a negative attitude or, um, you know, or just doesn't kind of mesh well. And um, so, no, I'm definitely taking, even though I have all the information, mm-hmm. you know, mentally and uh, numbers wise, it's like, I'm just taking it slow. So Tony and I work in a studio situation. Do you think that, do you, do you have the feel of it, it's more of a studio since it's just the two of you? Or do you kind of feel like it's a, it's a salon? I don't know if that's even a fair question, but you get the point. Um, yeah, it's, I would say it's like an, in, like a hybrid in between the two. So mm-hmm. like a storefront or a, uh, like, you know, yeah, not it's more like a little in. tiny shoebox storefront. Mm-hmm. And where <laughs> is that? Cute. Uh, it is in Boca Raton, Florida. What? Boca. So Boca Raton, they have a lot of, um, what do they call them? What do they call them? Boca when bitches? <laughs> no, not that one, silly. <laughs> <laughs> what do they call that when uh, you have winter relocators? Oh, snowbirds. Snowbirds. So uh, how does that affect your business? Oh, my God. It's insane. And I had no idea before uh, doing hair down here and opening the salon, um, how crazy it impacts your business. So I definitely modeled my salon after the kind of DC model and, Mm -hmm. and how salons run up there. And boy, was I in for a ride the first year. And, um, so basically these, there's like an influx of about 70% of people. And this isn't just for Boca. This is like all South Florida, but Boca especially is at the top of this influx. But I would say between the months of November to April, you have 70% more people that come into the area than you have the rest of the year. So what that means is my business from November until April is insane and then I lose those 70% of people and it goes to like crickets for the rest of the year. So you have to be so good about um, saving money and positioning money for those dry months because it is dry and it is quiet. And like right now, I think I told you recently, I worked 10 days straight without a break. Oh my God. And yeah, and I mean, that's working until like nine o'clock every night. And, and it's just because I know in two months, you know, all that money is going to be going away. So it's like, okay, I'm going to work my butt off, you know, for four months to supplement the months that, you know, it, it's hard to pay rent. So it's like a school teacher's uh, schedule. You get the summer yeah. off, except it's seven months. Yeah, you know? no, it's crazy. And then with like Hurricane Irma this summer, um, that really 
was rough to work around. I mean, my salon was closed for 10 days, I think. Whoa. Um, yeah, because we didn't have any power. <laughs> right. Oh, my gosh. And your landlord doesn't care, does he? No, not at all. I still had to pay rent, unfortunately. <laughs> so, but yeah, it was like, yeah, but can you uh, hold him really responsible for not business. having power? Can you, can, what? You, can you hold him responsible for not having power? Say, look, can you, you know, you're not giving me power, so how can I uh, do business? I wish, but right. no, it was like basically the whole grid was out for that time period. Um, oh, so it wasn't just him. And um, I actually, I tried to go through FEMA to kind of offset some of the losses. But mm-hmm. by the time I actually got around to doing it, because I procrastinated on it, right. um, unfortunately, like Puerto Rico had already happened and like the fires in California and FEMA, like, I don't think they have even gotten back to me yet at this point. Oh <laughs> that God. was months ago that I finally put it in. So who knows if I'll ever actually recoup <laughs> anything. Well, hopefully FEMA will give you your money back. Uh, from all the, from all the loss, but from, you know, being a hairdresser, then being a salon educator for all that time, how hard or easy was it to transition back into the hairdresser side of it? That's a great question, Tom. That is. What challenges that, have you had any challenges or, um, what challenges have you been? I mean, you know, being an educator for so long and then getting behind the chair, that's gotta be a different lifestyle. Yeah, it was. And it would say it was slightly easier for me, maybe, but not as hard. And why I say that is easier even while. Hard. <laughs> what? Easier and not, and not as hard. Or easier <laughs> and harder. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> you made me talk for a long time. Leave me alone. Um, but for, um, for me, while I was doing all the education and even in the management and, you know, sales side of things, um, I was actually still doing hair extremely part-time, but mm-hmm. on the side, because I actually felt like it made me a better educator. Um, I could work out, um, you know, some uh, kinks on clients with maybe new products that were, you know, being launched or new colors or new techniques. Um, so I always still had my hands and would you just, in, would you borrow space at a hair salon or how did that work out? Either out of my house, out uh-huh. of a client's house, borrow space. When I was in the DC area, um, yeah, I actually worked two days a month at a salon on Sundays when they were closed. Mm-hmm. Um, I would rent the space from them. And so myself and my, um, shampoo assistant, slash manager, slash banker, slash best friend, um, would um, come in and I would service like 15 clients in that one day. And But it's because I'd worked, you know, in Georgetown for so long, right. I didn't want to lose some of those people. And um, and I definitely liked the supplemental income, you know, that came in from it. Um, but like I said, it, you know, it just made me a better educator at that time, especially because... Um, I could still talk the talk and walk the walk with everyone um, and knew exactly some of the challenges they might be kind of facing with different products. Um, So the transition back into full salon life was not too hard. Um, I really liked the fact that I had cash again in my wallet. Um, That was probably one of the harder transitions when I got out from behind the chair into education or into corporate. Um, 
is not having that cash like readily at hand. And it, that took me a long time to kind of get used to. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was more at the beginning, but I liked having cash in my pocket again, right. you know, and I, I don't know. I just like, I always like challenges and, you know, and challenging myself and, you know, that's one thing with my life is I, I don't do goals and my mom hates that I don't do goals because she's so goal oriented. But it's like when I was 18, I never in a million years would have thought my career would have taken the path that it did. And, and if I had like put all these goals on myself as saying, you know, oh, well, I'm going to own a salon by this time and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that, then I wouldn't have been open to all these different possibilities and opportunities that present themselves uh, to me because I would have been, you know, so focused on, no, that's going to take me away from my goal. And so, you know, I just, I'm kind of a go with the flow type of person, especially when it comes with, uh, to careers. And, um, so and you're so a, a free bird among snowbirds, <laughs> that's right. I guess, you know, but I'm super type A as well. So it's kind of funny, you know, that I can be kind of go with the flow, mm-hmm. but like, um, I, you know, I don't know. I actually had no intention of, you know, ever getting out of corporate, you know, into owning a salon again, but it was like, all of a sudden, all these, you know, things started presenting themselves to me and, um, you know, and kind of falling into my lap without me even trying. And it, it made me think like, oh, well, is it time maybe that I should get out of corporate and, you know, go back behind the chair And so I took that leap of faith. And I mean, it's like every major, you know, career move is totally a leap of faith. I mean, I always think about like that Indiana Jones movie where, you know, he has to jump onto the clear, you know, or see through like bridge, whatever. But it like that, it's so true. And so, you know, yes, there's stumbles, you fall, you know, along the way, but it's all learning experiences and it's all exciting and scary and, you know, wonderful. Back to failures are um, are learned opportunities. Kudos to you, yeah, no doubt, right? Did you? Yeah. That's amazing, man. And are you on like a, an adren- adrenaline junkie? Maybe a little right. bit. So <laughs> I just got certified for scuba diving last year. So oh, maybe. That's cool. Yeah, type A. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, something else you can do um, in the summertime in Florida, right? Like scuba diving. Yeah, exactly. That's pretty cool. Where'd you certify? There in Miami. Uh, in the Florida Keys. Oh, uh, people really hate you now. <laughs> I know. <right? laughs> so when you have seven months of vacation, how do you capitalize on that? Um, well, it's kind of funny that you say I actually moved to the Keys um, not too long ago, and I commute up to Boca. Um, whoa, 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 whoa. Time out. <laughs> <laughs> What's that timeline like? I mean, <laughs> I thought DC uh, traffic well, was bad. What, how long does it take you to commute to Boca from the Keys? Well, let me preference it with I lived in D.C. for 15 years. And, I mean, you know how bad the traffic is there right. and how long it takes to go anywhere. So I'm used to driving. And as you know, when you're a hairstylist, it's not like you can talk on the phone. And it's not like you're sitting behind a desk and, like, can be a good family member or a good friend. Um, so looking for a couple um, of extra employees. <laughs> yeah. So I say all of that because my commute is an hour and 45 minutes each way. Um, Whoa. <laughs> I mean, at least in DC, you might get a break in traffic. You're never getting a break from an hour and 40. No, but I book clients around traffic so that I don't sit in traffic because I can't stand sitting in traffic. I genuinely don't mind driving, but I just do not like sitting in traffic. And 
to that drive makes me a better family member. And, you know, cause I actually call people, right. um, cause I'm stuck in the car, so I have to do something. Um, and, uh, but I discovered the keys through an ex-boyfriend and just fell in love with them and the community and, the people and the water and the lifestyle and everything. And it was like the quality of life that I was searching for, um, all along. And, but I have my business in Boca. And so I decided to make the sacrifice to live in the keys. Um, so that on my days off, I am in paradise. Um, and I can get to Boca. (laughs) Let me paint this picture. So you (laughs) hold on. (laughs) This is what, slow down DT, slow down. So, do you have a crash pad in Boca? No, but I have lots of friends that I can crash with if I need to. Because I'm just thinking, you know, a couple minutes ago you said you worked till 9 or 10 o'clock each night during the, uh, during the busy time. Mm-hmm. And you're commuting an hour and 40 minutes home at, at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night? Yeah. And then you get up and do another hour and 40 minutes so you can start all over the next day? Yeah, but I don't book clients until noon, so it's like I can sleep in a little bit. Girl, you're high as a kite. <laughs> that's amazing. You do what you got to do, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess so. Yep, that's that's commitment. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what she's committed uh, to. Is she committed to the salon, or is she committed to the lifestyle, the king's right. lifestyle? I don't know. <laughs> committed to oh, both, obviously. Both. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible, man. The salon affords me my lifestyle, so hey, that's why I do it. one I'm jealous of, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're in a salon, and we're not in the keys at all. <laughs> that's incredible, DT. Awesome. Great story. It is. It really is. I mean, you've definitely, um, you've definitely worked it out, and um, I would say, like, uh, you know, good luck with your, with, with your salon venture, but, you know, in two years, you might be back out of it, depending on how the free bird flies. I know. You never know. That's great. You never know. Well, no matter where you fly, I uh, I appreciate your friendship and I appreciate you coming on, um, on our show. Yeah, thank you so much, and thank you for just all the great information that uh, that you're sharing with everybody else. Absolutely, you know. Now, thank you guys. Like I said at the beginning, so much for having me and just Absolutely. thinking I even have a story to tell that people would be interested in. So I hope I did a little bit of. Um, or gave a little bit of knowledge for people and some inspiration and maybe have them think about things a little bit differently. I don't know. It's just, it's an amazing industry. It truly is an amazing industry. I'm into that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So one last time, DT, thank you very, very much for joining us on your day off. Well, thank you guys for having me. Please do me So there it is. We also want to give a special thanks to Sarah and Blaine from Pretty Gritty. Sarah and Blaine allowed us to use their music that runs under the uh, podcast. It's called Pleased to Meet You, which I thought was only appropriate for our podcast. You can find Pretty Gritty's music on iTunes.